What is good, all of our listeners and viewers? Welcome to another episode of Games and Groceries. My name is Adam. And I'm finally growing out my hair. No more bald weirdo. I'm coming in, growing out my hair, because I'm facing a new chapter in my life. Hooray! So time for a hair change. Yeah, because uh, last week's episode we talked about, well, I talked about a little bit about how I uh, quit my youth ministry job. We're probably moving back to our home state in the beginning of November. So I just figured, you know, new chapter in life, when I grow out my hair again. Maybe Hi, buddy. Liz gets a little blue in hers? Uh, we'll see. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's just a matter of, like, where you're working and is that, yeah. a, like, appropriate. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it all depends. Maybe maybe you don't have to work. Woohoo! Because this YouTube channel will blow up. That would be wonderful. Yeah. Could you, um, could you subscribe to the channel, by the way, if you're watching us? Uh, subscribe and get us to a million subs. That would be great. Thanks. That would be insane. Could you imagine, like, shooting up to a million subs in a month? It happened to, uh, it happened to Jack Black when he did, um... Jablinski Games. Yeah, that's crazy. I know, but we're not Jack Black. No. So, Liz, how you doing? I'm um, all right. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Nothing, nothing to share this week. Just waiting to move. Nothing. Waiting to move. Waiting to pack. I I really love. Well, I don't love packing. It's I like to. I'm one of those people that like I like to see progress. Like right. I like to view it. So when I'm packing mm-hmm. and I see how much I've packed already, I get really excited. I'm kind of a nerd. Yeah. So I'm excited for that. And um. Yeah. Yeah. And we also have guests on the show today. Yes. Yeah. We do. So we have guests. We have the two Justins from Eon Gaming. We have Justin and Justin. Woo-hoo. So. Uh, before we get to them, we're going to go into our top three gaming news. But before we go into our first segment, let's talk about our social media garbage. So you can follow us on Twitter at Gaming Groceries, or you can follow us individually. I'm at Ace the Grocer. And I'm at Journey First. So you can follow us there, follow us individually, and be friends with us there. Which one's your favorite podcaster? It's obviously me. I get it. Wow. But uh, obviously it's Floki. I mean, yeah, yeah, definitely. Floki. We're we're a soft second and third. Yeah, sorry, uh, Floki, uh, he's sleeping right now. But anyways, so you can follow us on Instagram, Games Groceries, all one word. We can check out behind the scenes photos, uh, a video that I posted about uh, channel updates, as well as pictures of our dog Floki. So definitely subscribe to both. Well, you know, follow follow Twitter and Instagram because every single week. On Fridays, Friday, uh, 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I will post a question of the week. And you have until Sunday, 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to answer that question so that we can make a video about it on Wednesdays. So you can follow us there. Uh, You can also check out our website, gamesandgroceries.com, where you can listen to all of the episodes from the website, as well as find out where you can listen to the audio versions of the website, as well as uh, articles that I've written in the past. And I promise you, at some point, when all this craziness is done, I will write more articles. <laughs> I promise you. It's just been a whirlwind of craziness. Like, yeah, we'll start it in the fall. And now our fall has completely blown up. Yeah. And <laughs> maybe in winter. So, uh, yeah, 
but definitely <laughs> check out the website. Uh, and finally, if you're watching us on YouTube, definitely consider subscribing to the channel. And if you enjoy this whole episode, if you get to the end and you really like it, give it a like, give it a share. Someone who else would enjoy it. And if you're listening to us on the audio versions, definitely consider leaving us a review on iTunes, iHeartRadio, wherever you can list, uh, leave reviews, uh, Podchaser, wherever you can leave reviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely do that. And if you would like to uh, like me to read your review on the podcast, just email me contact at gamesgroceries.com where i can say hey nice review let me read it in i can't do the kevin voice off off the bat but uh definitely email me contact at gamesgroceries.com and you can let us know if you have any movie suggestions for movie minute yes totally so let's get started with our first segment top three gaming news the top three gaming news is a gaming news that we saw in the past week, and we like to rank it three, two, one, just to give you a condensed version of what's happening in the games industry. So let's get started because we want more time for our guests, the two Justins of Eon Gaming, mm-hmm. with our number three gaming news. It's Fallout 76. Oh, our favorite. Woohoo! So, admittedly, I haven't even touched Fallout 76, like, since actually, probably a year now. I was going to say, probably till it, since it released. Yeah. You maybe opened it a couple times to check on it, and you're like, eh, no. Yeah, I probably did it in, like, February of this yeah. year. But, once again, Fallout 76 is on a paywall. Uh, woohoo! Tries to pull a cash grab on players uh, with needed items. So... The Atomic Shop, which is the microtransaction store within Fallout 76, was promised, right? It was promised to be only cosmetic items. Fine, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to dress up like a park ranger? Cool, yeah. whatever. I don't care. Yeah. Um, that was the promise. However, keep in mind, this is a survival game, right? Mm-hmm. A survival game where you need to feed your character, um... You know, let your character drink, uh, you know, keep up. And sometimes when you keep up food, it rots too soon, right? So then you can't feed your character. So in the Atomic Shop, there is a refrigerator to preserve your food for making it last longer, therefore progressing your game further. It's on sale for $7. $7. A refrigerator to preserve your food that's needed in the game. Yeah. Um, that's not cosmetic. Yeah, that's not cosmetic. And uh, there's no way to earn this. There's no way to earn it in game. You just have to grind away. But there's also a robot on sale for $5 that gathers scrap for you. And that scrap can use to build up your settlement. This hmm. is also a necessary thing. Right? And it's on sale for $5. Those don't sound cosmetic to me. They are not. So fans are a little angry about this. Uh, this is coming from, I believe I got this article from Polygon. Yeah, Polygon. And so I want to read just a quick snippet of that article. Uh, the article reads, The final straw came in the most recent update, which sells a refrigerator and scrap collector robot in the store for 700 atomic points, which is $7, and 500 atomic points, which is $5, respectively. These are camp items with powerful in-game utility as they can preserve food and scour the nearby wasteland for useful crafting items. There are no ways to earn the fridge or scrap collector in the game. The only way to unlock these items is through the Atomic Shop. That's not cosmetic, is it? No, it is not. 
So with these whole challenges to build up atomic points being so grindy and low reward, this is just pissing fans off. Yeah. It really is. And just like... It pisses me off. Yeah. I don't even play this game. And this, this Bethesda has pissed me off consistently this year. <laughs> just like build your game, man. Like, I don't yeah. understand. It's Make the game better before you piss everyone off again. There was also an update that actually broke the game again. I saw Mr. Matty play's uh, video on it, and it just completely busted his game. And it's just like, can you just focus on making <laughs> your game? Stop selling these leather jackets. Stop selling $7 refrigerators. Yeah. Come on. Just make the game better. Yeah. My goodness. I don't know. I'm not trying to say it's super easy to make a game like that better. But it doesn't seem like their focus is in the right direction. Yeah, their focus isn't to make the game less buggy and like a consistent, well-flowing yeah. game. But every time they do an update, something crashes or something else breaks. Mm -hmm. Like It just seems like they're cutting corners, and they've been cutting corners since the day it released. And you can argue that the $7 and $5 will go towards uh, making the game better. You can argue that, but it's a $60 game, people. Yeah. It's a, it's a full-price game. Not anymore. It's on garbage sales. Oh, yeah. But... <laughs> That's the thing. It's a it's a paid for game. Yeah. Stop it. Yeah. So let's just move on to our number two gaming news. And okay. um, this is coming from my favorite gaming franchise, Assassin's Creed. Now, the reason why it didn't like Assassin's Creed Odyssey is because it didn't feel like Assassin's Creed to me. I'm a long time standing coming from the first game. And then every single year I bought it and it just... <laughs> Assassin's Creed Origins was okay. I mean, no, no, no. It was great. I, I loved Assassin's Creed Origins, but Odyssey was just a hot mess. Yeah, you weren't a huge fan of that one. I do not like it. So this is coming from GameBiz.uh, or get, blah, blah, blah. I forget what the website's called. Uh-oh. But uh, It's from somewhere. Yeah. GameBiz.biz. GameIndustry.biz. Game that, that's the website. GameIndustry.biz. And uh, this is why Ubisoft isn't abandoning open worlds. And this is a interview, an interview with uh, Yves Guillemot, who is the head of Ubisoft, right? And he's starting to say that, well, you know what? You know what? Uh, open world games are lucrative. We can make a lot of money off of it. And um, part of that interview, you know, the, the, the saying is like saying like, well, you know, would you ever consider going back to Assassin's Creed Unity, where it's a focused game within one area, right? Yeah. One city. Would you ever go back to that? And Gamo has this to say, no, our goal is to make sure you can have a Unity, which is Assassin's Creed Unity, within an Odyssey. If you want to have a story that's 15 hours, you can have it. But you can also have other stories. You live in that world and you pursue what you want to pursue. You have an experience, many Unity-like experiences. Do you understand what you're saying, man? Like, side missions don't count, dog. Yeah. Like, okay. So what he's trying to say, right, is saying like, well, you know, the average amount of players play Odyssey for 60 hours and so there's a lot of side missions in our games. There's so, there's yeah. so many different stories. So we, you know, you but they're not multiple main stories, right? They're side missions. And that's the thing. It's just like I don't think he's understanding that side missions don't have the same impact. Yeah. As a focused story, like Assassin's Creed Two was, yeah. or Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, that there was a main story, there was a main lore, but they're so 
uh, Assassin's Creed is becoming so eclectic and yeah. just so filled with things. Mm-hmm. And that's just uh, not Assassin's Creed. It's becoming all their games. I mean, look at uh, Watch Dogs Legion, mm-hmm. right? It's so open world that you can interact with any NPC within the game. And that's just unnerving. It seems like they're they're losing sight of what they originally did with their games. Right. They're losing sight of the original reason for the game. Yeah. And going with, look at what we can do now. Like, mm-hmm. they're like too excited with modern technology exactly and they're just doing everything they could possibly do without and and like i said losing sight of what they originally set out to do yeah uh they're, they're trying to reach the masses but the best lesson i've ever heard with content creation is that when you try to reach everybody you end up reaching nobody yeah meaning that you can't reach anybody like have a niche yeah have a niche like just let assassin's creed be just what be, it is I'm playing Gears of War 5 with a friend of mine right now on online co-op, and we're just playing through it. I'm like, this doesn't feel like Gears. Yeah. It doesn't feel like Gears of War. This just feels like Skyrim with chainsaw guns. <laughs> it, it's just open world, and uh, we were saying it's like, listen, with Gears of War, you need like a two-minute uh, two cutscene and then back to heads exploding. Like, that's what it is. Like, that's what Gears of War is. is. Yeah. And I don't know, like... The coalition can do what it wants to do, but and Ubisoft can do what it wants to do, but I think they're just missing the point here. Mm-hmm. So let's briefly go into our number one gaming news because we again we want to give more time to our guests. And yep. uh, GameStop is closing two hundred up to two hundred underperforming stores worldwide, and they're going to be closing half of their stores in the next fiscal year. That's half guaranteed. Of, half of their current stores or half of what's left after that 200? Half of what's left in that 200. Wow. Yeah. So in an earnings call, GameStop could declared that in quarter two, in a three-month span, get ready for this number, they had a net loss of nearly $500 million. Wow. A net loss of 500 million dollars near that i think the number was 488 million dollars within three months remember back in the day when you wanted to be a manager at a GameStop? yeah i'm really glad you didn't choose that career (laughs) (laughs) we'd be in a whole lot of trouble right now (laughs) well within that earnings call they said like well you know like we always get losses whenever it's like the end of a console cycle i'm like not that big. Half a billion dollars of loss? No, that's not. It's like, that's oh. Not, oh, yeah, you know, it, it's a loss. No, that that's a big loss. That's In big. three months. Yeah. Three months. And so to, uh, to compensate for this, they're going to be closing 200 stores. And that's normal for retail. Oh, yeah. You, you, you know, you, you have some... to compensate for losses that big. Yeah. And they're doing it right before the fiscal year ends and... Uh, it's 200 stores out of, I believe the number is 4,400 or 5,000. I can't remember which number it is, but it's 200 stores. And it's unfortunate because people lose their jobs. Um, however, in the same earnings call, I want to read this quote here. Another part of uh, GameStop's plan is to turn things around is to scale down the retailer confirmed on the earnings call that it plans to close 100 to 180 to 200 underperforming stores by the end of the company's current fiscal year 
The store has, okay, here, here's the quote. The store has 5,700 stores worldwide. So the impending closures, if they reach 200 stores, amount to about 3.5% of its total store base. So, okay, mm -hmm. yeah. Now here's the kicker. The company added that it expects a much larger tranche of closures to, uh, to follow in the coming 12 to 24 months, though a specific number was, wasn't provided. A much larger tranche of, of closures in the next one to two years. That's crazy. They're going to be closing half of its stores yeah. within the next year or two. That's insane. That that's absolutely insane, and a lot of people are going to lose their jobs because of GameStop's faults, and because GameStop has always tried to push sales mm -hmm. over its customers, that's why they're failing yeah. right now. I mean, it's sad in general when you see stores closing because you see it everywhere in other in all companies because yeah. online ordering is more popular. But when it comes to GameStop, it's not even that. It's not just online over retail. It's the fact that GameStop is very annoying to go into. Mm -hmm. And they've made that experience increasingly worse and worse as we've grown up. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, mm -hmm. it's sad, but they've kind of brought it on themselves in this situation. Exactly. By having just a poor business model that they weren't willing to mm -hmm. make better. Yeah. And like I said, they're blaming us all on like a console lifespan and how they're going to make money yeah. with the Scarlet and the PS5. And I'm like, you're, no, you're, you're not going to make that much money. It will be it will be a miracle if they survive by that time. Yeah. No. And that's the thing. Things like Amazon exist. Things like Target exist. There's other places where they can get their. They, they think that they have the monopoly. They have the monopoly in gaming stores. Sure. But the thing is, there are better discounts, better yeah. advantages of getting them online mm -hmm. you can get a physical copy of games on amazon still yeah you don't have to get digital copies so it's not like they have the monopoly on physical copies of anything yeah so we'll see where this all goes but they are going to be closing 200 stores that's specific that that's exactly what they're doing however they are going to be closing half of its stores by the next fiscal year which is insane to think about but yeah. um, we'll see and uh, look forward to those liquidation sales, I guess. Right. Let's go. <laughs> Man, it sucks when people lose their jobs, though. Yeah. So let's uh, let's just move into our next segment because we have an interview to give. Yes, we do. If you don't know Eon Gaming, they like to uh, they like to that. This is their business. <laughs> this is their job. <laughs> Uh, they make products uh, currently for the Nintendo 64 and the GameCube and just attaches to the back of it. And you can hook up an HDMI and it has the smoothest frame rate possible. Um, we're going to talk more about it in the interview. So enough of me talking. Enough of that. Let's talk about game preservation. Let's talk with Eon Games. Let's talk to the ju two Justins with our next segment. It's interview time. All right, everybody, welcome back. Uh, we would like to welcome our guest, the two Justins of Eon Gaming. Uh, say hello. I'm going to start with Justin Skirbo, because I was about to say, you can get started, but there's two of them. So There are two of us. Yeah. There are two. Well, thank you so much for having us, Adam. Uh, I'm Justin Skirbo. I'm one of the co-founders of Eon Gaming, joined by my uh, comrade here, my compatriot, Justin Chow. Yep. Show. And I am also uh, another co-founder, one of the three. Well, I guess two of us of the three are here. Yeah. Um, but I'm also from Eon Gaming. Uh, 
I hope that was a good enough introduction. <laughs> <laughs> what else would you like to know? Yeah, right. Uh, you know, social security number. Um, yeah, yeah, Blood sure. type. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, we would like to get to know you before we get started with our talking points with these uh, five brief questions. And let's start off with a really fun one, because when I first met you at Ally Retro, and I guess um, either one of you, uh, you received a cake in the shape of a Nintendo 64 and <laughs> Will Wolf from Wolfden would like to know, how did you like it? And kind of a follow-up uh, question, why are review embargoes so important? Uh, <laughs> so uh, so I'll, I'll jump in and kind of give the story about the cake. So um, so before our latest product came out, the Super 64, we mm -hmm. were lucky enough to have a whole bunch of reviewers get the opportunity to try it out early and see what it's like and kind of get their impressions of it as well as uh giving them sort of a uh a bit of lead like leeway time so they could um you know test it out and put it through its paces so they and give them the time to properly construct a review right mm -hmm. yeah um so during this process we put down a uh, a review embargo and the need for something like a review embargo is typically to create an equal playing field for content creators. Mm. Um, it, you know, it's really important to us to kind of, uh, you know, maintain a great relationship with all of the wonderful people that have gotten a chance to try our products. Um, and in order for them to essentially compete in their, in their own mediums, they kind of need a fair playing field in order to launch videos, right? Yeah. Because if one person were to say, launch a video or release some piece of content early, then it would make it incredibly harder for other reviewers who might have also been afforded the same opportunity to, you know, get their proper, um, you know, view counts and all this sort of stuff, because a lot of that, like SEO space would be taken up by the person who posted first, right? Exactly, yeah. So, so yeah, so in order to kind of maintain that equal playing field, we usually send the products out a, a bit ahead of time. So it gives them the opportunity to try it out, put it through its paces, kind of collect their full thoughts on it, and then uh, create a review for it, which I'm sure takes time for, you know, shooting and editing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, it's always a, a like a push and pull, right? And from both parties, from the people who are reviewing it and the people releasing it, right? And it's interesting mm -hmm. that you bring up this question because I don't think we've ever really had a question about review embargoes, but... Justin and I used to also work in media originally. We used to also do things like from written articles to, to videos and whatnot. And getting in products is one, uh, a, a big honor because it means mm -hmm. that somebody's trusting you with something before it actually is released because they actually uh, kind of, you know, um, appreciate and uh, accredit, I guess, your opinion, right? Yeah. For mm -hmm. one. But the other thing too is like they also kind of like hold this thing that could kind of ruin a launch entirely. Like any one person yeah. who gets one of these things beforehand could technically ruin a, a launch. And at the end of the day, I mean, from any company, especially ours, which is only three people like large, yeah. there's a, a large amount of, um, a, lot of, a large amount of risk on our side put in from just things like, you know, product development, you know, or manufacturing. Mm. And that we want to make sure that the launch is as explosive and as exciting for our audience as possible. Of course, yeah. that kind of falls in line with the reviewers. So we typically try to give people like two two weeks to four weeks to like play around with the thing. I mean, I'm sure you've read articles before about like video game companies who give out the, uh, the game to people the day before it launches. So now you have to write a review within a day. And how do you actually spend enough time with something to get like a proper 
you know, properly developed opinion on it in yeah. a day. You mm -hmm. can't really. It's kind of difficult, yeah. right? But the problem, as Justin was saying before, is that everybody's vying for that for those clicks and those eyeballs, right? Mm -hmm. So you want to make sure that you give your reviewers and the people who like are interested in your product enough time and enough respect um, so that they can actually do their jobs well, create good content. But at the same time, if you give them too much time, then there's a lot of chances of uh, broken embargoes and uh, a not so explosive or exciting launch, which is scary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> very the, true. So then this actually dovetails very nicely into the uh, into the uh, Wolf Den mm. uh, the Wolfden, you know, uh, situation. I don't know. There's no way you can say it without it sounding <laughs> yeah. bad, like Wolfden yeah. Gate. Something. Yeah. But uh, so essentially, what what had happened was they were hosting a live stream, and on their live stream, mm -hmm. they uh, they basically got our product in and were sharing with the audience, which is totally kosher, saying that the, that they did get the product and that they're about to start a review. Mm -hmm. Um, but then on the actual post or uh, during the live stream, they actually like started opening the product and giving sort of like a uh like an off-the-cuff like first-hand impression which was not cool like that that was something that we were trying to avoid we, we, it's, it's basically... not terrible but we already yeah. told all of our reviewers that we didn't want yeah, that kind of content like, yet so yeah it's it's not it's not like the worst thing that could happen but it's more so like i was more so worried that another reviewer might have seen that this happened and they were like well eon told us the rules were this and then this guy's doing it so like what the heck right yeah. so it's a special treatment territory yeah there's a lot of negatives yeah. that go along with it but again we're, you know. it was in our best interest to try to maintain a, an awesome relationship with all of our reviewers so when so weirdly enough while this was happening i was watching uh this wolf den live stream not because i knew they were going to talk about us but just i really like their content a lot yeah. and, mm -hmm. you know i was uh i was just tuning in and when i saw it happen i've got uh i've got bob's number uh like I've, I've got his, uh, so I shoot him a text, right? Mm -hmm. um, and he like doesn't answer the text. And I'm like, oh, dang. So then I send him like a DM on Twitter and all this stuff. And eventually he sees it and he's like, oh, so we're not supposed to be doing this right now. Yeah. So we're going to stop. <laughs> um, so they basically stopped and they, I, I messaged him afterwards and I was like, listen, no big deal. I just want to make sure that everything's like, cool for all the rest of the reviewers so like you know let's let's not worry about it like you know it's we're moving Water on under the bridge yeah yeah right. exactly we're mm -hmm. moving on right um but then at li retro uh will comes up and he hands us this cake that he made and frosted to look like an n64 <laughs> it looked which amazing was like, the most, yeah. like oh my gosh it was like the most humble like awesome thing that i've ever seen somebody do and i was like what is this for and he was like this is uh we're sorry we broke embargo and yeah. you know we still want to be friends cake and i was just like oh man like <laughs> you definitely didn't have to do this like this wasn't that big of a deal but like thank you so much like and it's funny it's like in what other industry would you see people that tight to a community be mm. like i'm gonna be nice enough to like make them a cake like an apology cake like yeah that's probably not happening right on. in other industries the gaming industry mm -hmm. is uh far more different Anyway, sorry about that. Anyway, continue. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's that's that story. A cool yeah. anecdote. No, it, it was super nice of them, and that's the thing. It's like I I saw that encounter a little bit, and I saw the cake, and it was just like they're the wolf den just seems like really really nice people you know like they're, oh, they're mm -hmm. super good brothers absolutely the coolest dudes yeah and they're like local to us like we're we're from new jersey they're in long island so they're not too far out mm -hmm. um so you know we've you know been lucky enough to like meet them at prior engagements and stuff and uh ever since yeah. we first made a connection with them it's just been an awesome relationship going forward well that kind of uh segues into our next question yeah, so we heard that you met Bob Wolf at a World War II reenactment for World of Tanks. Can you tell us the story? Uh, 
Justin, you should you you were the one that struck up uh, struck up the conversation. Right? Oh yeah. So so essentially so same kind of thing, right? Like I've mm-hmm. been uh like I've been a fan of Wolf Den's content for a while. And like Justin said, you know, uh a while ago we used to run a uh, a games media site okay. where we would go to some of these press events and review stuff or whatever. This this event in particular was kind of a, an interesting scenario. Should we I'm I'm not sure if we can really say like who brought us there or whatever. I mean, why not? Is it that oh, big yeah. of a deal? So, I mean, it's so just we, an event. Well, I don't know. We <laughs> So we have a, a friend, uh, Jeff. It's this guy who works at a website called The Chive, right? Okay. So he he was kind of preoccupied with some other stuff that he was doing, but he got an invite to this thing. And he was basically like, listen, it would be really cool for us to get to this thing. And if you could like, he's like, all I would really need you to do is go and take a bunch of pictures and then just send them to me. Like I, I just write two paragraphs about the experience. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So he's like, I just couldn't physically be there. Would you guys be down to, to do this for us? And we were like, yeah, sure. Like whatever. I mean, like we really didn't have much going on. Like there was no like, like financial anything. It was more just like, Hey, can you just do me this favor? I just need you to go yeah. to this thing. And, and we're in like, Long sure. Island. Mm-hmm. So like, it's not even like two hours drive right. away really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so we, uh, so we go to this thing and it's pretty cool. It was like a um, it was a, a press junket for uh, for this new World of Tanks. I think mm. it was World of Tanks Mercenaries, and yeah. they were basically taking you around this tanks museum mm. where you got to like see the tanks up close. And there's guys like you know historians that are like telling you about all this stuff. And then at one point they put you on this like Humvee kind of thing and then drive you through an old battlefield. And Whoa. there's like wow. there's like battlefield reenactors like going through the whole thing and there's like cannons like firing and stuff. Like obviously not like real cannon shots, but right. like it's yeah. people died. Yeah, it's real. <laughs> very, very real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so it was cool. It was like it was a good time. And while we're in this Humvee looking thing, uh, you know, there's all these other press people that are just around us, like fully kitted out in like Dang. weird like army military gear. Mm-hmm. Um, and I look across the way and I I see who I think is Bob Wolf. And I only mm. know him or I've I could only recognize him because I've seen his YouTube videos however yeah. many times. Um, so I see him sitting across the way and like I had never met him before or anything. So, you know, we get to a stop or whatever, and I go by and I'm like Yo, like, are, are you Bob Wolf? And he's like, yeah, like, what's going on? I was like, yeah. oh, cool. Well, hey, like, I'm a fan of your content. Like, I like what you do, blah, blah, blah. And he was just like, oh, cool, you know, whatever. So we just, like, are having this conversation talking about this ridiculous situation that we're in. And mm-hmm. that was kind of it. Like, no, nothing, like, really huge sort of grew from that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we followed each other on Twitter and all this stuff. And then, you know, fast forward almost a year right wow um and now we're doing this eon stuff and i was like well this might be you know the kind of thing that's in his ballpark so then we shoot him a dm and we're like hey you want to like would you be interested in reviewing this thing and he was like yeah sure like okay so and then it kind of just matured from there and yeah. you know uh we've been like i said super lucky to have him uh you know review some of our stuff and check it out and give us his uh his thoughts and impressions and yeah it's just been uh it's been pretty cool yeah and it's funny like when you said that uh, that you met him there, and he's like, "Oh yeah, totally cool." I met him uh, at LA Retro two years ago, and I and I just saw him, and, and similar to you, I was like, "I know that guy from somewhere," and I just yeah. could not place it. Just this tall, lanky dude, and like the same kind of haircut. And I was like, "I I know him," and I was like, "Hey, do I know you?" And he's like, "You might know me from YouTube." I was like, "Oh, you're you're that guy." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's just uh, super cool about it. Like, just a really nice dude. 
but for sure it's it's really awesome like the more events and stuff you go to you start to make a lot more of those connections mm -hmm. and yeah. uh it's it's kind of cool seeing that that uh not really like a barrier but like the barrier of like oh you're just like this person that i know from the internet and yeah. then you get to meet them in person you're like oh wait you're actually a real a real person and there you are yeah, you know? yeah. it's a cool it's a cool feeling so speaking of meeting each other and you know building relationships that, that brings us to our next question that you are the two justins of eon gaming however <laughs> that's right you're also friends from college and i just want to ask you how did this friendship start and evolve into the company Sure. That's a good question. I'll take that, Justin. Yeah, I'll take that do. one. So we went to uh, Ryder University up in Lawrenceville, yep. uh, New Jersey. And uh, mm -hmm. at the time, I mean, both of us completely separate schools at the time, albeit mm -hmm. in the same dorm, uh, like uh, dormitory, I suppose. So that was where everything started. Um, I was in, uh, what was it? I was a finance major and global business major. He was in journalism. So we didn't really have many classes together. But yeah. it was one moment where there was like an icebreaker game of assassins in our nice. dorm where yeah. we walked where we went around and like essentially met people by attempting to play murder them you know yeah um so that's where it all started so then after that all of their like friend groups started talking and that's where i met justin where he told me he was into video games and mm. for me personally all i knew was if you're into video games then the first question is what are you playing and then the second question is do you play smash of yes. which both questions were answered pretty intelligently to a gamer's point of view i guess and i was just like all right this is my type of person let's play and then after that it just sprang from there uh there was a moment where later on in college justin was working on his uh his uh like journalism blog for video gaming and that got him a press ticket to e3 mm. and i remember seeing wow. that and i personally wow. being or dreaming of going to E3 ever since I've heard yeah. of it from like these Game Informer magazines from way back when. Um, I used to be like, oh man, if that was, I would ask the GameStop employees whether or not, uh, or games, yeah, GameStop employees whether mm -hmm. or not it was possible if you get a job at GameStop to get into E3. And they were like, uh, they don't even invite us, man. Like you have yeah. to be, it, it's very exclusive uh, industry uh, passes and stuff. So I was like, wow, Justin, you're doing something right. So by the time we graduated college, that was the moment where Justin and our friendship grew to a group to a point where. I wouldn't say we can ask for favors from one another, but there was a moment where 2011 came around and I was like, oh, Justin, you're going to E3 again. Mm -hmm. What do I need to do? Who yeah. do I need to pay? Like, I don't care. Just <laughs> tell me what needs to happen in order to get to E3. And he was like, oh, all right. Yeah, sure, man. Uh, fill out this form. Do this. You know, come oh. in as the uh, part of uh, my my blog and we'll we'll see if it works. $500, $600 later, plus a plane, a plane ticket <laughs> and a uh, really terrible, uh, no, an amazing hotel. I'm sorry, because at that time, I think, Justin, you were working at the Hyatt. Wow. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was a pretty cool situation. It yeah. was a really cool situation. We had a really nice suite with two other of uh, our other friends. But uh, that's where everything started. Like, we went to E3. We got to play all of these different games like Dark Souls mm. 1 um and uh other games that weren't so good like resident evil umbrella corp or whatever it was called mm, yeah um and uh that was the moment where we were like okay cool we met the voice of sonic aaron something or another awesome. we met wow. uh we we saw um a few other execs from like from sony and we didn't get to go to any of the like the conferences at the time because we mm -hmm. weren't that cool but we got to see a lot of these people in the industry that we've been like following for the past like decade or so Mm -hmm. So there's a moment where we were truly like we we came back and we were sitting on this balcony and we were just talking to each other and we were like uh I like I like the job that I have now but like we need to get here somehow we need to work in the industry 
Yeah. And that's really where I think our friendship started to like really blossom because there was like a an aligned goal at that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was it was actually a really a really cool like pairing of stuff. Like, you know, you you meet so many different people in your life that kind of affect you and like the types of relationships you have with them are are so like different and interesting and stuff. Mm. But um my relationship with Justin has always been one that's really just so so different in all of the best ways than my relationship mm. with anybody else because like when it comes to like chasing goals right like justin and i are so aligned it's like ridiculous right like i think i think we we have the same kind of like drive in one another where it's like we see something like we're getting that thing you know you want to get those trophies those platinums you yeah. gotta work towards them you know exactly. what it is you know what i mean like in almost any scenario it's like justin has that that kind of very assertive like i'm gonna get into where i want to go i see where i'm getting and i'm gonna get there and i feel like i was kind of the bridge to help him get to e3 Mm. but then once we were there he was kind of like you know we we kind of had this this meeting of minds where we're like yeah like we're gonna we're gonna control our destiny right now and Mm. we're gonna we're gonna do what we've got to do to make this our lives and uh yeah and everything else since then has been history (laughs) man that's awesome yeah i like that because uh just uh Justin, uh, Justin Scurbo, when I when I met you and we were just talking, uh, you can t- call me Chow. If that yeah, helps. Chow. By the way, I like your uh, Discord name, Chow Da. I was just like, <laughs> oh, I get it. <laughs> Thank you, high school screen names. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you don't even want to know what my first one is. But anyway, continue. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, when when we were talking and uh and I was talking, uh, I was actually talking to you, Chow. Um, uh, your dad, Alan, and. Mm-hmm the drive that all three of you have i was like yes that's that's why i want to be that's where i want to go it's just to be driven and not have any kind of excuses uh all three of you just have the same kind of molded mindset that's saying like listen we're gonna get somewhere we're gonna make this work and i and i loved that drive about you guys because you know what you know what it is i'm sorry to cut you out go for Uh, it cut you off um and i do appreciate those words a lot because we do put a lot of time in like, I don't know. Weirdly We're trying enough, just, really hard out here, I mean, man. Justin, <laughs> Justin and I like to, well, at least I like to equate it back to like a, um, I don't know. It's weird. Everything comes back to like old RPGs. Like for instance, yeah. like Diablo, you can try to spec in many different ways, but like you'll get like a, a kind of mediocre, you know, character at the end of the game at the end of the day. Right. But mm. if you start specking specifically towards what you're trying to get to, you can become that professional level or a much more effective character way back way later on in that game, right? So one of the things that I keep thinking of is like, well, if you have problems that lead to the goal that you want, or not problems necessarily, but challenges, yeah. you just got to solve those challenges, and every challenge you solve will get you one step closer to where you're trying to get to. So yes. Justin and I were like, at the end of the day, a very broad you know, dream. We want to work in this video game industry, um, and it started with, whether it be applying for different things to all different types of spectrums from PR agencies to media outlets to things like Rooster Teeth, you know, production agencies, yeah. anything mm-hmm. that can get us closer to it would help us. Unfortunately, those were highly in demand at that time because everybody wanted to do it. So how do you diversify yourself? And then that's where we started being like, okay, so Justin started taking on much more like SEO and internet and mm development based like focused um jobs um and careers and then i started going into uh, much more like i guess uh, he was also marketing i was doing much more digital advertising project management and account management that kind of stuff yeah and eventually we learned enough to be like okay so now from this point i understand the video game industry to an extent and i understand my skill sets to an extent how can i apply what i know and create something that's needed 
in the video game industry so that we can make our own place because it's so difficult to get a job there, right? That's yeah. why I feel like you look at these YouTubers and you look at like uh, Twitch streamers and they all have that same drive and that same motivation. Mm -hmm. It's like, I want to be here, but nobody's yeah. going to give it to me. So I got to make it. You know, exactly. and then yeah. I think you, you pair that with just, you know, a general like passion and interest for the industry, you know, like gaming has been a part of our lives since we were children, like little kids. Right. Yeah. Or, <laughs> you know, and and in Justin's case, uh, Alan, like has kind of been a, a driving force in his interest in games as well, which is awesome, you know, to have that kind mm -hmm. of uh, that mm -hmm. kind of situation. And then really like you know, kind of having that know-how to be able to sort of carve out your own path because there, there's only so far you can go if you're trying to like jump onto something that somebody else is doing, right? But if you if you know enough to be able to like see a part of an industry, be like, there's there's something here, like there's something missing, there's something that we could do, something that's not available that we can make available mm. and really just having that sort of like, like gusto and drive behind you where you're just like, well, I'm just going to make that thing. I'm just going to do this thing. Yes. You know, and yeah. and that that is like Eon, right? Like with Eon, it's like retro gaming has been a massive passion for for both of us for like forever. Right. And, you know, into my adult life, I've definitely spent more money on retro <laughs> games than I'd care to admit. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the idea of having this kind of like enhanced nostalgic experience is mm -hmm. like super attractive to me. And I'm like, man, if if this is something that like that we really care about, that we're really passionate about, then maybe some other people are, too. And like, let's let's see what, you know how people will respond to this and you know we've been very lucky in the sense that people have responded super well so mm -hmm. it's funny it, it's again coming back to that rooster teeth thing but like bernie burns the guy who started rooster teeth mm -hmm. had the same idea it was like well if i find this funny i'm sure there's other people out there that also mm -hmm. find this funny so let me just put it out there right no in our regard on. it was like well we want to play our old games again but they all suck because <laughs> hgtvs don't work with them so what yeah. are we just going to throw this stuff away no we're going to figure it out and then after we figured it out we were like what are the chances that there's other people who might want this too? Yeah. yeah. And then how do we make it simple and how do we make it sexy and how do we make it like, you know, the best it yeah. could possibly be? Yeah. So, And I guess the best part about the video gaming industry and I guess where we're at right now is that if you're the closer you aligned you are with the video game industry, the more authentic everyone now knows you to be because you're mm -hmm. just doing things that you want to be doing. Mm -hmm. And it works so well with gaming because, I mean, who doesn't want to pick up a video game and play it? Like, that's the best part yeah. about video games yeah. rather than, like, collecting and buying the physical media. But still, it's like all that stuff is so easily relatable and so fantastically, like, uh, the passion is just so easy to come by that I feel like a lot of people can relate to that, you know? Yeah. yeah. So huh. I would like to bring us to, well, we have a couple more minutes and we have a couple more questions. And I want to get sure. into something. Well, Liz, you can ask this next question of just something to this is get to nothing really to know do you. with what we were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally cool. We tangented for a bit. <laughs> if you had the power to morph into any animal, what animal would it be, and why? Whoa! Oh man, <laughs> these are deep <laughs> questions here. <laughs> I appreciate you asking, uh, giving us the the question. Uh, a few days before, but I did not read this one. Oh I'm man, not <laughs> let me think. Animal. Yeah. Yes. Favorite animal. If you can animal, morph any into animal. any animal. Oof. Oof. I did watch Planet Earth just recently. Um, <laughs> and uh, I mean, I'm happy to I'm happy to leave if you want to think about it for a sec. Yeah, okay. go for it, man. So, I mean, I think I think most people would have a similar take, but like obviously you want something with flight, right? Oh, Ooh. yeah. You know, some okay. kind of bird because that's just going to give you a totally different perspective on the world, right? Um, nice. so I was trying to think of like a cool a cool bird yeah and i know it sounds so like 
lamely like patriotic or whatever but probably <laughs> something like an eagle right like a like a bird of prey you know Ooh. something that's like long <laughs> and is a big wingspan and can fly mad far and just looks badass like that's probably where i'd be i like it yeah a bald nice. eagle nice yes. i like it i think i think flight would is probably the power yeah. that uh i would want to acquire but maybe the the ability to eat endlessly might be the best way to go i don't know i mean thinking now towards the the bear situation because i feel like bears i mean they're fast that and they're like ravenous, but they're also kind of lazy and i'm kind of in that mindset too it's either on or off you know yes so i feel like i might maybe i mean the whole asian thing maybe it's panda i don't know they're, <laughs> they're really lazy though they don't do anything so maybe not the panda situation maybe a, a, a nice brown bear somewhere in montana oh, yeah. i don't know yeah. Ooh, okay yeah, I was gonna what about say, you guys? I was going to say a bear. Like I was going to say like a, either a black or brown bear or a grizzly okay. bear. Oh, yeah, I mean you don't you don't get much stronger than that, right? They're just exactly. pure muscle. Yeah. Is man. the grizzly the grizzly doesn't come in shades of black or brown? How does I that work? Are they, they different they bears entirely? Brown. Is it like the square is a tri a rectangle but the rectangle is not a square? <laughs> well, no, there's the there's the black bear, then there's the brown bear, and I think there's the grizzly bear. The grizzly bear I think is typically brown, but I think they're just bigger, like they're beefier. Yeah, and they're fluffier too. No, that's that's all muscle and that, exactly. that, that's beefier. People see uh, me as fluffy, mm. but it's just like, "Nah, bro." And then I just <laughs> turn into What? A bear. Liz, what's your oh, answer? Man. Save me. See, I went more with like, oh, my favorite animal is horses. I want to be a horse. You run really fast. Yeah, yeah Dude, right. I just One imagine them like power. running free, like the ones that like live on the beach. Yeah. yeah. I'm just like, I just want to run. Just run. Horses are from the beach? No, there's... um there's, Yeah, there's a couple of beaches that like there are horses that live there. Yeah. Uh, um, like in... I once vacationed in the Caribbean and rode horses. <laughs> the Caribbean, yeah. Yeah, so like there's horses like that and they just run and just, oh, yes, that's what I want. I just want to be. I like got you. I free got you. horse and run. I mean, who, who doesn't want to run on a beach quickly? I mean, exactly. as you, right. you can't run on a beach a quickly and your calves start to kill you. Yeah, right. It's awfully See, majestic. A horse running on a beach is fine, but a bear running on a beach? <laughs> that's that's scary. Then it goes scary territory. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. With our last minutes on this uh, interview section, uh, very briefly, I want to ask you guys, because uh, we talked about how we're all in the same mindset here, how we all want to be bears on beaches uh, or bald <laughs> eagles. But from each of you, what's one piece of advice you would give to somebody who is either scared or nervous to follow their passions in life? Oh, I got a ton. But Justin, do you want to go first or should I go first? Uh, I'd say you go okay, first. I'll, all right, I'll go first. Um, so I have a little sister and I give her advice all the time uh, as well as her friends. And my own friends, too. I mean, it's weird. Like, yeah. everyone's scared and everyone's nervous about making that, like, leap, especially when you want to, like, pursue something so... It's, like, almost as if you're asking the question, like, well, what... what, Who am I? Why do I deserve, like, to accomplish that kind of dream, mm. right? Yeah. Um, one of the things that I tell a lot of people is, like, really, it, it comes down to... It always comes down to action, right? But mm. before action comes planning. And a lot of the things that you have to do, at least in our Justin and in my case, right? A lot of the things that we've done is we sit down and we think things through. It's not good enough to just say, I want this. Yeah. It's, it's, it's necessary to think, okay, well, how do I get this? Right. So if it comes down to working in the industry or mm. starting your own, you know, development studio or, you know, creating your own media outlet or creating your own YouTube channel, it's 
one, how well do you know that space? And then two, do you think you could create something good enough? And if you do, hmm. then the next step is the hardest step, which is let's start doing it. Yeah, just you know? start. Yeah. And the moment you start doing it, and this is something that Justin and I have un, uh, learned to understand over time, and it's way scarier, obviously, being on the other side of this, but that was back in 2011 when we started doing things, right? Mm. All the things leading up to that, like from going out to conventions, our first media past, uh, I guess, uh, show was GDC 2015. So that already took five, four years just to get the media pass, like truthfully, like properly. And then after that, the network expanded drastically on those two days mm. than I think they've uh, expanded at all. Mm. Um, so network is another advice that I would give you. The network yeah. is the true asset, right? Yeah. But then after that, it comes down to, okay, so now keep working, keep getting noticed, and it's going to be a grind, but eventually you'll understand and you'll come to understand this, that the grind is partially both the worst part, but also the best part. Because it does get you to the point where you, now you are understanding, you're intaking so much information and you're understanding exactly where to go next and there's a direction and you aren't directionless and you have the direction. And then eventually there's a breaking point where yeah. you achieve and you're like, I've made it to this point, but now what's the next thing after that? And that's the big thing. It's just making sure that you have a point uh, to, to shoot for and then continuously moving in that point. All decisions from where you are right now to where you want to go have to get you towards that point. It doesn't have to be directly in that direction but as long as it's generally in that area or generally moving forward if it's a instead of a forward maybe it's like a forward right step or forward left step it's getting you closer that's yeah a good step mm -hmm. take that action i would i would probably complement this with uh with a few i guess more like ethereal things some mm -hmm. like the stuff that's happening in the background of these thoughts as well which is like i mean the first thing that i think is probably the most important thing for anybody and this is in all facets of life business you know love friendship relationships whatever like everything it really comes down to mindset like you have to it's it's like law of attraction right like if you're if you're not putting positive vibes out into the world and you're not thinking that what you're doing is getting you to where you need to go to like it's not going to happen so the the key thing that you have to do is just always be thinking or always be putting yourself in that positive mind frame. Mm. Always be like, you know, grateful and, and kind of like, I don't know, just always sort of pushing yourself and being like, you know, this is going to work out the way that I need it to. If I work hard enough, we are going to get to where we we're going to get to because we're doing all the right things. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? You have to just kind of like visualize what you want and like really be like constantly reassuring yourself. It's like self-talk, right? Like you, you just keep telling yourself like, you know, we're going to be okay. We're going to do this. Right. And then you yeah. back that up with the work, like Justin was saying. Mm -hmm. Um, anyone helps. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, uh, one thing that helped me, I mean, because at 2015, June 1st was the day that I, uh, left my job and I started working on the passion full, full time, essentially with Justin. Mm -hmm. Um, but certain times there was moments where it was like, man, this is really hard. Like I see, only minimal gains and i don't know like how much longer i can do this for i need a, to pick up like a side job just to continue like expenses whatnot but is it worth like putting yourself out there for the next two three years just to see if you can make it mm. yes because yeah. if you don't make that choice then you're gonna regret it for one yeah 
Mm-hmm. The second big thing was just I had these inspirational post-it notes that I put next to my bed whenever I woke up, which was like, "Get up, you can yeah. do it. <laughs> like, do that. <laughs> you need it. You need that. You need that self-talk." Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the the last two things that I would add to it um, would be always shoot higher than what you think you can do. Mm. You know, mm. like when you're when you're setting your goals, when you're setting like what you're what you can do or whatever, you should always be shooting higher. So like when Justin was using the example of like the you know, we worked and we worked and we worked and then we finally got to a place where we like, we got a media badge and we walked into a place and we're like, dang, like we're experiencing this in a totally new way. Like that wasn't the ceiling, right? Like you should never look at at a situation like there's a ceiling. You should always be like, okay, well, how are we going to take this even further? How can we make this even more successful? How can we, you know, get, you know, just keep like, keep growing this thing, right? Because it's that process that's going to make it feel fulfilling. But then the, the other part, to that that I think is equally as important is while you're always chasing that higher next bigger goal, um, you want to be aware and kind of like grateful for the situation that you're in right now. Because mm. even like how Justin's saying, it's like the grind to to hit those first milestones, it's a lot of work. You know what I mean? It's a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of patience, attention. You're not going to get the results that you want every time, but you got to keep doing what you have to do. And then like, once you once you achieve whatever it is that you're looking for, you realize that it was through that grind. Like that's when you feel the most fulfilled in life. You know yeah. what I mean? It's really when you're putting the work in. It's like that moment where you're like, this is kind of how you keep yourself humbled. You know, mm. it's like you you look at like, man, I have the opportunity to do this. Like I am working towards my goals. I'm not doing nothing. You know what I mean? Yeah. I might be working and the work might be hard, but I'm doing it for all the right reasons. You know what I mean? Right. I'm putting myself in a situation where I'm getting to where I want to be, you know? So no, it totally makes that's sense. kind of what I would say, man. Now, great answers from all of you. Uh, I, I, I hope anybody who's listening uh, heard that last question. And if you have something that you want to start, go ahead and do it. It's going to be a grind, but I hope you took some inspiration from these words. But uh, with that said, I think this is a good time to jump into our final segment. We're going to be talking about game preservation and how we can uh, accomplish that uh, as the years go on. So, Let's get started. Let's just go into our final segment. Coffee time. So every single week, we like to take a discussion from the games industry and just talk about it like we're at a coffee shop. And we have two guests here that we're going to be talking about uh, game preservation, right? And and uh, with retro games and the future of, of gaming in general and to just preserve that through life. And, and, and before we start the discussion, I think it's important to define what it is. So let's guess you guys. Why is game preservation important for the next generation of gamers? So if anyone uh, wants to start. Justin, this is sure, all you yeah. yeah. So, I mean, game preservation, I believe, is becoming more and more critical over time. Yeah. Because the like games as a whole are becoming this massive part of of like the media sort of entertainment sphere it's like it's got the lion's share at this point and every day we get new people playing games and every day we get you know old school gamers trying new stuff and all this but like it's really where the original experiences came from those Mm. you know those old consoles we used to play on the you know the original titles that helped grow this massive industry you know it's those that that really helped define you know where it all started where it all came from and being able to enjoy those experiences and and looking at them and learning from them and really just kind of you know retaining those 
those authentic original experiences as they were intended to be. Yes. I, I think it's just so critical to to understanding this medium that, you know, that now has grown to like a hundred billion dollar, whatever it is, industry, you know, and, and has captured the hearts and minds of people around the world, you know, mm. and it's cool to, you know, to be a kid and, and get exposed to games for the first time and, you know, play Fortnite or whatever it is that you're playing right now. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if you really have that sort of passion for it, you want to be able to look back and see where these things started, where those experiences originally came from and uh, and to be able to to go back and, and like and like touch it and like play it and really feel, yes. you know, the evolution of games over time, I think is just it's just super important. You know what I mean? It's it's kind of a uh, it's kind of us putting the signal out that this stuff is important to us and it's worth remembering and mm. at least for me, I it, I think it's hugely important. You know what I mean? Much of much of my history, much of you know the the industry that I work in, and all of this stuff that that we've been able to achieve here is based on you know is based on this, uh, this you know based philosophy. On this yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's uh, you know if we want to be taken seriously in this medium, we need to take it seriously. And mm. I think game preservation is a huge part of that. No, I, I, I highly agree with you. In fact, uh, that's why I was so excited to uh, purchase your product, uh, the, the GCHD, just because yeah. I don't really touch emulators. I, I know that it's a thing. You can emulate it on your computer. It's fine. But, like, I want to play it on the GameCube. Yeah. You know, like, I, I want to play Super Mario Sunshine. With your GameCube controller. Yeah. Put the disc in to the to yeah. the console. But, like, yeah. like, what you said, you know, like, to touch it, to feel it, not to just emulate it it doesn't have the same effects right um uh child do you do you have any other thoughts on this i mean uh, just like justin said before and he is the true collector between the two of us yeah um the like what it comes down to is that he has uh tons of money to spend on this stuff and i just <laughs> i just don't <laughs> but truthfully it really does come down to the idea and again the philosophy behind eon and the philosophy that we've held dear for a long time is yeah you can play games on emulators and sure the software is almost there but it really isn't the same experience right yeah. and, and it's weird because like and maybe it sounds a little elitist but it does feel it does feel and play and experience completely differently when you sit down and you put a cartridge into a into a slot and then you flip on the button like the yes. power button and you hold the controller mm-hmm. and then you sit in front of this tv and you're playing it right um in our case what we want to do is have all that original stuff fall within that same umbrella but then at the same time allow it to be taken far into the future, you know, mm-hmm. so that it's not left behind because you think about development teams, studios, you know, manufacturers, all of those productions, all of those things that had to happen, all the people that put in like blood, sweat and tears to make these experiences happen mm. would be completely lost otherwise. You know, none of that would be able to be played again had it not been for modders out there or, for instance, uh, companies like ours trying to allow for that to come into the future with us and not even just be here but then also be able to be played mm-hmm. better than it ever has before without yeah. having to add on gaudy you know um connectors or ridiculous like cut out parts of the chassis so that you can have an hdmi signal out kind of situation no yeah um, it, it looks incredible your products like i remember putting in for the first time and i was just like i was completely like mind blown i was like because yeah. because Thank it you. doesn't yeah <laughs> i mean it doesn't look fake or zoomed out it looks in the ratio it's it intended, but the colors, proper. yeah, it looks proper, yeah. and the colors are so vivid and it's smooth, and and the frame rate is just like untouched. And I was like, right, it, it's incredible. Um, I mean, Liz, you 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 played a little bit on the 
on the GameCube. Why, why do you think game preservation is so important? Do you have any thoughts? Mostly the same as your reason, because the systems that we have were mine growing up. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not something that we bought. It's literally things that my parents bought brand new and I've had in my life since I was a kid. So that it's that experience of being able to play on your own system, yeah. having that controller hand and having that just nostalgia take over for a while. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, there's let like a wash over you. Very, oh, yeah. sorry, go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, I just said just let it wash over you. Yes. You can just, yeah. yeah. I mean it's a it there is kind of a weird uh like romantic sort of mm-hmm. nature to, you know, using an original system with the original controller yeah. and you get to, you know, place the disc in the drive and you mm-hmm. hear that click and everything. And it's, it really is a very special thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, for, you know, we're, we're getting to be adults at this point. Right. So mm-hmm. I have such direct, clear memories of when I got these things for the first time mm-hmm. and what yeah. it was like to, to, you know, place that disc in and, and turn it on for the first time. Even the noise that it makes, like the whir when mm-hmm. the system turns on, it's yeah. like it's all so ingrained in my head. And now to be able to go back and have those experiences and have them look and play better than they ever have before is it's really awesome. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's really something else that uh, I I don't think you can necessarily appreciate something like that in uh, in another medium. You know, yeah. I mean, you can go back and watch the. Uh, the remasters of the original Star Wars trilogy, but we sure. all know those are worse. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's cool too. It's it's starting to become like on the fact of game preservation, right? One mm. of the things that Justin and I we just came back from Seattle uh, and we had a panel literally about game preservation. But one of the at, things uh, that PAX we West, started, correct? what was that at uh, PAX West? Yes, yes. at PAX yeah. West, uh, mm-hmm. a first ever panel horrifying experience at first we had a lot of people that started plowing through the doors and we were like oh i thought there was gonna be 20 yeah There's 200 of you <laughs> um but uh the one of the biggest topics that came up was like yeah interestingly enough we're now in essentially like very much in the first wave of retro being cool you know yeah. being to a point where people want to start picking up their old stuff again and then hearing like the ding of a game boy you yes. know um and it's interesting too because i remember just seeing it happened like on the train one day somebody pulled out a fat game boy and just started playing it and then immediately started talking to some other business guy about like their old childhood like you know games that they used to play on this thing definitely didn't know each other beforehand Hmm. so now i'm starting to think well retro and preservation in mind is not just uh not just here to stay or rather something that's important but it's something that's becoming a fad too so I think right now, if anything, is the time to start telling people, hey, so this is important stuff and we should kind of like take care of it, you know? Mm-hmm. No, dead on. Now, now you did talk a little bit about how Eon Gaming products help with game preservation, but uh, I want to ask you, are there any more plans to make other Eon products? Like so far, you've made the uh, Super 64, which is the N64's component and the GameCube HD. Is, is there any other plans to make more? Pack it up. We're done. (laughs) It's over. So so, uh, the short answer is yes. We are. We're definitely looking into uh, more solutions for uh, for other consoles Mm. from our past. Um, I like how you used uh, solutions. It is is important to know that every retro console handles video out specifically very differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So it takes it takes a bit of. Uh, R&D and a bit of time to really kind of figure out what the absolute best solution that we can create for those consoles are. And that's that's kind of our our operation here. Like that's what we're trying to do is really getting the absolute best out of 
an original console in a plug and play factor. So it's super simple. There's, there's basically no setup at all. Um, and to deliver it onto a modern display as perfectly as possible. So we are, we are heavily into, uh, you know, in the R and D phases for other consoles that we're mm. very excited to announce, but we cannot announce them here. Mm. Um, mm. but we, they are, they are imminent. So if you're interested in seeing what we're up to next, I would definitely follow us on Twitter. I would definitely, um, you know, keep an eye on our website and see mm. kind of how we, uh, how we continue to, you know, make our retro consoles look and play better than they ever have before. And a huge part of like our our production line and the pipeline comes down to not just what's possible, but also like what people are asking for. And like mm-hmm. we're in a really interesting spot now that since we started doing stuff like this, people now know us as the guys who are bringing the old consoles back to the modern generation. So we get a lot of requests in personally, like e- whether it be emails or Twitter or we'll at the show floor. Them. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Please, by all means, please tell us what you guys want, because that that builds interest for us to look into them even further. So right now we have uh, a few front runners that we can't discuss just yet because I feel like it'll give away too much. But people are asking for stuff and we definitely want to hear them out. Um, And we definitely want to see if we can satiate that, because I mean, we're just we're I feel like we're also part of the community to the point where we we want all of our consoles done, but Mm -hmm. we we have to focus on one at a time. Mm -hmm. Oh, sure. So it's like, well, who of the community, how many people of the community would want something like this? That's the one we'll work on next. Yeah. Yeah. So for for those of you that that do send us those emails, thank you for that. For those of us that see us at conventions and, you know, share their thoughts on what they want to see it like we absolutely hear you. Um, Mm. Yeah, we're we're definitely excited. The uh, the few that we're working on right now, I'm actually, I could be the most excited about these yeah. so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we'll, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Man. And there's no way we can, uh, we can reel in a little hint here. You can't really cast a dream at all. Uh, oh, you're so cute. <laughs> uh, I don't know. You're talking about Neo Geo, right? Oh, of course. <laughs> uh, no, I, I will say that it's a retro console. By well, any ooh, means, yeah, confirmed. we can we no, can say oh, I, th- I think the closest we can get to saying something is they are other beloved consoles mm. of similar or different generations. <laughs> I know it doesn't really <laughs> give you much to work with, but we it's are right yeah. but wrong, true but false. Yeah, there you go. I like it. Perfect. Let's, yeah, yeah. I like let's, it. <laughs> let's say the one the ones that people are asking for we're definitely considering the most. So I like yeah. it. Yeah, so I won't torture anymore. I think we'll move on. Um, <laughs> so I want to talk about more of uh, game preservation, right? And uh, sure. I, I want to ask you guys, do you guys see an end to physical media in sight with digital distribution on the rise? I mean, we saw that. Um, mm. oh, what was that one Disney game that was just off of the PlayStation market? The um, DuckTales Remastered? DuckTales Remastered, mm-hmm. yep. And uh, people are just saying, like, wow, this is really important for game preservation. So I want to ask you guys, do you see an end in sight for physical media? Justin? <laughs> so I, I, I believe that there will always be a market for physical media, mm-hmm. but I think we will see it slow down very, very heavily. Man. Like, I think they will probably be, you know, we're at a point now where we're starting to see sales numbers coming back from places like, you know, Sony. And we see that digital is outselling physical. Um, I highly doubt that we'll see physical media go away anytime soon. Mm. But if we're talking like down the line, like 10 years or so, I imagine physical media will be more of a novelty, but there will always mm. be people that will, uh, that will be, you know, very concerned with making sure that 
you know they're able to get their games physically i mean we see what companies like limited run are doing right now which yes. is super mm-hmm. awesome you know mm-hmm. uh you know we're friends with the guys down there they're they're all awesome we really love what they're doing um and i think they're doing really good work like you know there's clearly an audience of people that are looking for stuff like that and what's awesome is they're also you know going back and doing retro stuff now um they yeah. they actually are the launching Wars the games, uh, yeah. the retro uh star wars games mm-hmm. so like shadows of the empire for n64 and there was like a bit of a cross promotion with super 64 for that which was super cool oh, that's cool um but it's it's clear to me that companies like theirs are are putting the want for physical media you know that's like paramount right now right mm-hmm. um but again they only release things in limited quantities there's not very many of them and i imagine as we go down the line even for like triple a stuff we're going to see more of that happening mm. uh because the reality of the situation is games are not cheap to make uh, they're yeah. not cheap to market and they're definitely, you know, not cheap to uh, maintain. So yeah. if they can cut out part of the cost of that by just like removing the physical distribution for it. I mean, even now, it's it's a very weird situation that we're in because most physical media that you pick up, you can likely get cheaper than digital, which is really bizarre. Yeah. Um, like I'm still picking up my games for like like a new game like you know Borderlands Three just came out two days ago I picked it up for forty eight dollars at a Best Buy. Wow. Whereas if you wanted to buy it digitally, you're getting it for sixty. $60 you know. Yeah. And hey, that's what I did. Yeah. It's <laughs> like those digital prices. I feel like Idiot. will remain the same for a while. But physical media, I feel like even now is still like you know it's not. I I can guarantee it's not making places like Best Buy very much money. Mm-hmm. And if we're seeing someone like Sony reporting that they are indeed selling more digital than physical then i i'm of the mind that it's only a matter of time because mm-hmm. no. uh, they're they're gonna they're gonna save whatever money they can by not shipping as many but if they make it more of a novelty like if it's a collector's edition version and that's how you get the physical one then i could see that happening yeah hmm. no. it's a shame but but i totally agree with you that it's just it, it's coming down the pipeline it's it's not going to come like tomorrow yeah, but I, I feel like this generation coming when the Xbox Scarlet and the PS5 come out that uh, I agree with you. You're going to see less and less of that, which is highly unfortunate. Yeah. And and trust me, like <laughs> I, I know I'm saying this stuff in kind of like a cavalier way. Um, I'm definitely not happy about it. Like if I, I wish I could send you pictures of my collection, it's pretty ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm certainly running out of space to hold it all. But uh, but it's the kind of thing where it's just like you, you have to read the. Uh, read the writing on the walls you know oh, totally mm-hmm. and yeah. It, yeah it seems like we're definitely headed in that direction and realistically like you know like i said i think the physical media will still exist but i think we're going to see like you're talking about xbox scarlet and ps5 i would almost guarantee that when those systems come out there's going to be some sort of deal where if you were to buy the game digitally you'll get it earlier than the physical release mm-hmm. of it yeah. yeah i imagine something like that will be happening sort of like what limited runs doing with like switch games right yeah. like they're releasing switch games alongside release but you don't get them until two two three months after yeah. uh, the digital version comes out but i mean yeah. i don't know there's a whole bunch of different ways that it can go but i uh i f- tend to believe that most businesses are trying to make money so if they find mm-hmm. something that will make them more money and save them costs they will likely do that um so that's kind of what i'm what i'm imagining yeah. is gonna and happen. right now it's falling under convenience over like uh i guess per- preservation in general because mm, yeah. it's it's like both it's cost effective sure and as far as people are concerned they find it as convenient not to have to interact with anybody or go outside yeah. <laughs> to get the local best buy to pick up a, a physical game so it's as justin said the, the writing on the wall the writing on the wall is pretty yeah. obvious yeah. no it totally um 
as we're running out of time, I definitely want to ask you a ton more questions about this, but uh, sure. I want I want to bring it to uh, even farther out in the future. Once uh, now we're talking about the next generation, but once this generation, once the Xbox One, PS4, Nintendo Switch, Wii U, I guess can count as that too. Yeah, we can um, make that out. <laughs> yeah, Nintendo's leaving <laughs> it out, but. Um, once this generation becomes retro gaming, which mm-hmm. I don't know when that will be, but now, now let me ask you a uh, little sidebar here. What do you define as retro gra- gaming in the terms of how many generations have to pass before a certain console becomes a retro gaming console? Mm-hmm. I'd say it's I, usually about a 15 to 20 year cycle, something yeah. like that. Okay. Yeah. I would actually base it off more on like hardware. I mean, hardware mm-hmm. and it's the generation based off of where we're at right now versus what it was back then. Right. So anything mm-hmm. that has to do with anything prior to a HDMI cord, I would probably put into an, like a, uh, a retro category at this time, because it's like where mm-hmm. we're at right now, what's retro is things that are either obsolete, but still cool or like things that we are kind of un- uh, intangible. Mm-hmm. I'd probably put in that. No, yeah, that, that's I, a good footnote. It, yeah. I think it's going to be it's going to evolve and be different over time because, I mean, we see certain things like, you know, Atari is considered retro for a while, but mm. there's really not much like love or attention put on that console anymore. Like most games you can get for like a dollar, yeah. which is kind of crazy. But like you look at stuff on the NES and the Super Nintendo, uh, you know, we're talking about GameCube and all this stuff. Like a lot of these games still retain a pretty serious amount of value. And I think because there's a lot of nostalgia tied to them. I think Nintendo in particular carries a lot of uh, a lot of that sort of nostalgic value. So I think those are always going to sort of remain in that place. But, you know, I remember at a time when um, when like PS3 was out mm. and I would look at PS2 games and I'd be like, oh, man, there's just so much junk on PS2. There's like thousands of games that came out yeah. for it and like half of them are trash and all this stuff. And I didn't really like take that console seriously. But now it's like now I find myself going back to the PS2 and I'm like, man, like, you know, there's some really good games here and there's really no other way to play them than on this console. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Same thing with, uh, you know, original Xbox or even like other weird consoles like uh, the PSP, some PS1 games, all this kind of stuff. And I think that mentality is going to carry forward in later generations like the ps3 most people look at ps3 and 360 games right now and they're like man like most of these games are junk there's so many of them they're mm. they're made so so like they're they're so cheap now like there's pretty i don't think there's a single ps3 game that you could get for like you know any more than like 20 dollars. like i think every ps3 game that you could ever want is 20 dollars or less yeah um, i agree with that but i think when when time begins to pass and people start thinking back and remembering like oh man like you know, there was some really good stuff on the PS3 that you really can't play anymore. Like, I would almost guarantee we're never going to see a, you know, remaster of something like 3D Dot Game Heroes. But yeah. like, you know, people might want to go back and play that game. And I have a feeling that, you know, games like that are going to retain some value, especially like, you know, two, three generations after after they pass. Mm. It seems like it's a it's about that. It's like two, two to three generations after a mm-hmm. system comes out is usually when they people start getting those nostalgia goggles and that's because two to three generations tends to be about you know 15 ish years so mm-hmm. you know no i agree with that now yeah. uh we have 10 minutes left about and i want to respect you guys' time so i'm going to combine my last two questions into one and uh I, w- I would love to get your thoughts on it so uh i'm going to bounce back to what i was originally going to ask because i got sidetracked there um 
But once this current generation becomes retro gaming, and even the 360, I guess, uh, once this generation becomes retro gaming, do you think it will be as respected and preserved in the same way retro games are today? And I'm going to combine my last question. Do we see a bright or a bleak future for retro games that are today? I could start on that. Um, yeah. So as far as our current situation is concerned, retro gaming in the future, and we're not talking about the retro games now going into the future. Rather, we're talking about the current games going into the future and what those look like when they're yeah. retro, right? Um, the difficulty with a lot of that stuff that we're starting to think about right now, um, and that also came up during that panel, is the idea of a lot of these games kind of being internet-based or multiplayer-based, right? Yeah. We're starting to see mm -hmm. there was obviously a blip in a few of the, let's say, first-person shooters where multiplayer was the only thing that was on the menu, right? There was no yeah. single-player campaign, right? We're starting to see a lot of games nowadays like Apex or Fortnite, for instance, that mm -hmm. require server access, um, yeah. require the massive amount of players to play. And without that, the game's not the same experience anymore. So as far as a future right now, there are definitely games out there that will still you know, be preserved and still go into the future and still be played on these old consoles. Um, but is it going to be a bleaker future? Mm, probably, possibly, maybe, depending on how everything turns out. I feel like anything that requires a massive level of interest in order to play at its intended experience will most likely go by the wayside and will most likely le like forget those or just see the ev evolved forms of those in the future. Um, like a Fortnite 40, you know, a Fortnite yeah. like three, four, five, or six, or something like that. You know, mm -hmm. those will potentially continue until that battle royale phase is kind of like put to bed, and then mm -hmm. now yeah. we're just watching videos of it. You know, yeah. Um, oh my goodness. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't say that it's completely bleak. I feel like those some of the experiences will still be there. I feel like the the genres have it broadened to a point where um, there are. There are certain genres that just won't carry very well, you know, won't yeah. age very well. There are still games now that will carry just fine. I mean, with the Switch coming out with cartridge-based stuff, they've definitely taken a point where, you know, uh, physical media will definitely be still strong in the next five to ten years. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. we'll see what happens on the 11th to 20th year, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, an important part to consider also is, like, you know, um, much of the collecting I do is, like, complete in-box stuff. Mm. And... Part of why I love to do that is because a lot of what you're seeing in those boxes kind of captures that moment in time, right? Like you look at Super Nintendo boxes and they're, they're like so, they're so 90s, it's not even funny. Like it, mm. it's really awesome. Like it, I think that really captures that time. And I think as we look at stuff like the Switch and whatnot, like once we get to a point where, you know, people are going to start to have those nostalgia goggles for it i mean you've got to figure there's a lot of people where the nintendo switch is the first console that they've ever gotten to play on you know mm -hmm. so they're going to have those memories of looking at you know that super mario odyssey cover and be like man this like just captures this moment in time so well mm -hmm. and uh, and the the best part is is a lot of the original titles that are specifically for these consoles are uh, are really good <laughs> you know yeah. so i imagine there's going to be people you know 10 years down the line that are going to look at something like breath of the wild and be like, man, like this was a pretty revolutionary game when it came out, you know, mm. and it's, it's just got all this like nostalgic value. Like it really is kind of like a moment in time that, that this game came out. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I want to, I want to revisit that, you know, no yeah. dead on. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I, I like that. And that's, and that's just, it. it's just like, you want to revisit that. There's a lot of games that are coming out in this generation that are rev revolutionary to the game. Uh, I just got done playing uh, God of War for the PS4. Yeah. And what Great the, game. 
it's great game. Amazing game. And what that game does just uh just in terms of loading screens and and storytelling and story pacing is just unbelievable. And I would want my kids uh, someday to just experience that game, yeah. right? Yeah, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is where, like, so, you know, uh, not to get really, like, pluggy or anything. Go for but, it. But, like, when when we were uh, creating the marketing stuff for the Super 64, mm-hmm. you know, everybody thinks about Super Mario 64. Mm-hmm. And, like, mm-hmm. anybody who's our age or a little bit older has had some sort of revolutionary experience with that game. And the reality is, is, like, you can't play that game like in another format right now. I mean, you can yeah. play it on like the Wii U and whatnot, but it's not going to feel the way that it originally exactly feel. It's it's that ridiculous controller that really kind of made that experience. It's mm-hmm. like when you put that in your hand and then you you know you turn it on, you're like, okay, like yeah, you know, this is something totally new. And there's something really special about it, I think putting that cartridge into the system and turning it on and feeling that controller in your hands. That's like, man, like this is this is what this experience was meant to be like and that's why you know when we started creating the video content and all this stuff we leaned pretty heavily on that because we knew that people are going to be like man like that's that's how you play mario 64 mm-hmm. you know like the, this is you know exactly like mario 64 yeah. is an, an unbelievable game and and that's you know that's something worth revisiting i think and uh you know it's actually aged pretty well <laughs> all yeah. things considered yeah i think it has i i think it continually will be um uh, we, we only have a couple more minutes left. Uh, Chow, do you have any final thoughts? Thoughts on bleak futures versus bright futures? I, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess, I, guess, I mean, overall, I think the, the I don't know, I guess the, my, my personal outlook on retro mm-hmm. gaming in general is uh, more of a, I, don't know, I guess more of a preservation and uh, more of a, a way to like kind of like understand and appreciate the culture that we're all kind of passionate about mm. um I, and i guess my final closing statements are just basically just i'm i'm afraid to see a future where we don't know where all this stuff came from where we don't yeah. understand where a certain mechanic was originated from you know where we're not giving credit where credit is due to some of the like the forefathers yeah. Yeah. of of gaming in general you know it's very fortunate for us that we live in a day and age where let's say we can enjoy a medium that has grown to the multiple hundreds of billions of dollars right right on. um where we still have the grandfather of all the software you know like miyamoto is still around he's still yeah. alive mm-hmm. which is weird when you think about it when you think about things like music who's yeah. the first person to create music or let's talk, talk about classical music and huh. Beethoven's not alive anymore. You can't talk to him, but you can talk to Miyamoto. I saw him on Jimmy Fallon, you know, look, Whoa, that's it's, crazy. Uh, I never thought it's weird, it like that. Yeah. There's right. There's going to be a moment where some kid back at, at the back tail of, you know, 2100 something going to be like, what was Miyamoto? Like, like who is that yeah. guy? Like, I'm watching yeah. these old, his prehistoric YouTube videos about him on Jimmy Fallon playing, <laughs> uh, you know, guitar with everybody, but who's, who, who are these people? That's yeah. crazy um, to think about. Yeah. 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 So uh, anything that we can do in order to kind of like continue that tradition is something that we're, we're all about. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think I that's think, a, Was that? Oh, go for it. Oh no. I was just going to say, I think my, my only closing statement that I have about retro is like, I honestly am feeling super confident about it. It's really, it's really reassuring to me when we go to, some of these retro events like LA retro mm-hmm. and you know, we see people our age who you expect to be into this kind of thing, but you also see like little kids, like little, yeah. little kids that are talking yeah. about playing a link to the past for the first time or like, 
you know, they like double and, dash more than Mario Kart 8. Like, yeah, like yes. they'll recognize I, uh, Mario yeah. 64 or something. And it, it really kind of gives me a lot of uh, it, it's it's like it Confident. makes me feel good because it lets me know, like kind of signals that that there is a consistent interest in this and that mm -hmm. it does reach further than just our generation. But it's also that like, you know, these these people are going to care about it. You know what I mean? Like it's going to be maintained. And like I said earlier, like, you know, we all love this medium so much. And I know that it's it's critical for me to for I think all of us, you know, I think Justin would feel the same way where it's like, the, you know, maintaining these experiences and, and holding on to them and really kind of, you know, championing where our you know, championing our roots, I think. Mm. I think it's really what helps, you know, define, solidify and validate, you know, all of the awesome progress that we've seen this industry take in the last few mm -hmm. years. And I don't know, I, I just feel I feel really good about it. And I think, honestly, the games are good enough where people are going to want to go back and play them regardless. You know, maybe it's not on. even it's not even having confidence in the fact that, you know, people like this like this medium but also it's like very confidence boosting to know that there are people like us who have the same type of like uh i guess philosophies on like how to appreciate and understand and like keep our old things you know for it's sure weird. no dead on yeah i think that's a good place to end our conversations uh uh, Justin's, I, I guess I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Justin's, uh, I, I very much thank you for coming on the show. You you had amazing points. Uh, I, I, I think you inspired a lot of our listeners, especially from uh, giving advice of how to uh, follow your passions in life to uh, preserving your love for retro games in, in any way, fashion, and form. But uh, anybody who's listening, definitely look up Eon Gaming. They have two products out so far. So far. Uh, the Super 64, which enhances your Nintendo 64 and your um, and your GameCube, the GCHD. I highly recommend these products because they just they they give the they give everything. Oh, thanks, man. I mean, I'm honest about this. It's in the right <laughs> ratio with bright colors. It's it looks like an HD version of what you remember. It's exactly what you remember, but so uh, any other um, or or I was gonna say. Uh, any any plugs you would like to give your your Twitter handles where people can follow you find you? Uh, yeah, so our Twitter handle, if you'd like to follow, because that's the thing that I guess that we're most uh, active on. We're mm -hmm. trying to understand Instagram and Facebook on like what to do there, but yeah, I'm not good with pictures. But anyways, for for Twitter at least, uh, it is uh, at Eon Eon underscore Gaming HD. So that's Eon underscore Gaming HD. Come find us. Uh, we talk directly to all of our customers and anybody else in the community who has any questions about our products or would like to know more mm. if you want to give us more requests on what you would like to see from us we are absolutely accepting those requests so please let us know mm. um give us some direction that'd be awesome but uh, otherwise you know there's always ways to to reach us if you need us nice good stuff yeah. But uh, yeah, no, you guys like, thank you so much for having us on. It was really uh, an awesome opportunity to sit down and talk to you. And honestly, when we like meeting you guys at LA Retro, I knew you guys were awesome people. So oh, thank, it you, was, thank you. You know, it was a it was a cool opportunity to get to reconnect like this and talk a little bit more. So thank you so much for having us. No, yeah, thank no you. And, and like I said, when we met at LA Retro, I'm like, I got to get these guys on the show because like the <laughs> passion and the drive you guys have. I'm like, I, I need the, our audience to like hear what they have to say yeah so yeah i know you guys are busy so i'll end it here just uh let you guys go i won't uh trap you in this podcast anymore oh, but <laughs> <laughs> so uh we thank you guys again and again to our audience follow them on twitter 
Uh, it's Eon underscore gaming HD. I will have it linked down in the description down below. I will also have uh, the Amazon links to the products. So definitely if you're interested in that, uh, you can give that a click, go for it. And you know where to find us on the social media garbage. You can follow us on Twitter, Gaming Groceries. You can follow us on Instagram, Games and Groceries, all one word. Check out our website, gamesandgroceries.com. And uh, I will end it there. I will. We we will. Because Liz job. is here, too. Yeah. We will see you in the next episode. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you. <laughs>